0: Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, Building Faith and Friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, entitled, Who is this guy? Jesus. Now Jesus has just started his public ministry and he's moving around the area of, uh, the, the area around the Sea of Galilee which is in the northern part of Israel. And he's moving from... Uh, do we have a, a slide of a map? You can, see, you can see it on the map. So he's up in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, and he's moving from village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom is breaking into the world. And as a result of his ministry especially His healings, people are filled with awe and wonder. And they are saying to themselves, Who is this God? Jesus. And as a result, there is a massive crowd that is following Jesus. And this is where we pick up our story in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, although Jesus grew up in Nazareth and was known as Jesus of Nazareth, when he started his public ministry, he had made Capernaum his home. And the house that he was in was probably his own house or possibly it was the house of Simon Peter which he had made his home in. Nevertheless, as soon as he arrives, the word gets out that he's home. Everyone's updating their Facebook status. Jesus is home. It's trending on Twitter. And next thing we read in verse 2, they gathered in Such a large number that there was no room left. Not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. They filled the house to capacity. They even jammed the pavement around the door. And they were eagerly listening to Jesus teach. Verse 3 and 4. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, I wish I was there. A couple of guys trying to bring their friend to Jesus to be healed. They know their friend needs Jesus. But they can't get in because of the crowd. Excuse me, paralyzed guy coming through. No chance. No one's moving. But that doesn't stop them. They don't give up. They know their friend needs Jesus, so they do what any upstanding Christian would do. They deface someone else's property. They climb up onto the roof and make a hole in the roof. Now, that wasn't so difficult in those days. They, their houses had flat roofs, and the roof was often used as a place to rest. And so it usually had an outside stairway going up to the roof. So it was really easy to get onto the roof. And the roof were just these wooden beams that went from wall to wall, and in between them they were filled with thatch, and pressed down with clay. So it was really easy to get up onto the roof, and it was really easy to make a hole in the roof. Imagine being there. You're listening to Jesus teaching. Perhaps he has just said something about his heavenly Father, and he's pointed his finger up to the sky. You look up, and some ceiling plaster falls on your head. Next thing, you can see some blue sky appearing. And then this paralyzed guy gets lowered down right in the middle of the room, right in front of Jesus. What was everyone thinking? Were they shocked? Were they complaining? How am I supposed to listen to Jesus with all this ceiling uh, falling on my head? Now this silly uh, paralytic is obscuring my view. I've come here to listen to Jesus, not to be distracted by this paralytic and his vandalizing friends. And who's going to fix the roof? I mean, you would expect any self-respecting rabbi, any popular preacher, to be quite irritated about the interruption in the middle of his sermon. You would expect Jesus to be annoyed if not had been interrupted because they've destroyed his roof. But we read in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus didn't see an interruption. Jesus didn't see vandals. Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of the four friends who knew they had to get their friend to Jesus and nothing would stop them. Who were wanting to get their friends to Jesus and they knew their friend needed to be touched by Jesus and they would be stopped by nothing. They used new, creative, and unorthodox methods to get their friend to Jesus. And that's the faith that Jesus sees. And that's the faith we need. We need the faith that realizes we need to get our friends to Jesus. And there will be obstacles, many obstacles. But we need the faith that perseveres, the faith that finds a way around the obstacles. So we need to invite our friends to come to church and meet Jesus. And when they say, oh, but I can't get there, you say, well, I'll come pick you up and give you a lift." Oh, but I've got to cook a roast for the whole family. I'll cook the roast. I'll pick you up, take you to church, drive back, cook the roast, come back, pick you up from church afterwards. But you need to meet Jesus. Oh, but I've never been to church before. I don't know how to act. I'll I'll get in people's way. I'll offend people. I'll be an interruption don't care about what other people think don't care if you offend and annoy other people that's not important the only thing is important is that you get to Jesus that's the faith that Jesus sees and then Jesus does the most surprising thing I mean you expect him to heal the poor guy especially after all the things his friends gone through but Jesus says to him In verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. Why does He say that? This guy was in desperate need to be healed. Jesus realizes that there is even a greater need. The need to be forgiven. Healing is a temporary blessing. Forgiveness is an eternal blessing. Healing will bring physical relief. Forgiveness will affect your whole being, your body, and your spirit. The greatest need that we all have is to know that God forgives us, that God welcomes us, that God accepts us, that God loves us, and that God wants a relationship with us. And we all need forgiveness. We all make mistakes. We get things wrong. We have regrets. I wish I could go back and do things over, do things differently, but I'm unable, I'm powerless. I experience guilt. I need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. That's why we've got to bring our friends to Jesus so they can experience God's forgiveness. Now, what had the guy done? What had the paralytic done to earn this forgiveness? What did he do to deserve God's forgiveness? Nothing. Absolutely nothing except He had gone to Jesus. And it's the same for us. There is absolutely nothing we need to do to earn or to deserve God's forgiveness. We just need to go to Jesus. And the way we go to Jesus is through prayer. And if you haven't experienced God's forgiveness, then find a Christian friend and ask them to pray with you. I would love to pray with you so you can experience the forgiveness of God. We read in verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We are introduced to the teachers of the law. And we will meet them a lot in Mark's Gospel. They were the religious leaders. They weren't priests. They were the the scholars of the day. They were highly trained in interpreting the law. That's the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and so on. And so, like the priests, they had a lot of power and influence. And they were obsessed with their religion with their rules and regulations, with their traditions and their customs. And they were jealous and threatened by Jesus, by his popularity, by his unconventional and unorthodox methods. And so the religious leaders in Jerusalem had dispatched these teachers of the law to go and investigate and find out who is this guy, Jesus. And verse 6 tells us that they were sitting there. They had taken the best seats in the house. And they weren't sitting there to learn from Jesus. They were hoping to find something to criticize, something to condemn in Jesus' teaching. They had a critical spirit. They were probably the reason why the paralytic couldn't come through the front door. They were the obstacle. Isn't that so true still today? It's the religious folk who are the obstacle, who are preventing people from coming and finding Jesus. And when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they're shocked. they thinking, that's blasphemy. That's an insult to God. For Jesus is claiming to do what only God can do. And so they would be thinking, who is this God Jesus? Not in a sense of being in awe and and, and amazed, but in a sense of who does this God Jesus think he is? He can't forgive sins, he can't proclaim God's forgiveness, only the high priest. In the temple, when he's made the prescribed sacrifices, can proclaim God's forgiveness. Who does he think he is? And we read in verse 8, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Whether by miraculously mind reading or simply by face reading, Jesus knew exactly what these cynical religious leaders were thinking. And he says to them, why are you thinking these things? And then he asks them a question, a riddle. And we read in verse 9, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? What a question to ask the religious leaders. For on the one hand, they believe only God can forgive sins, and yet a human might possibly be able to heal. But on the other hand, anyone can simply say your your sins are forgiven, because there's absolutely no way to verify if their sins have been forgiven. But to say to a paralytic, get up, take your mat and walk. Now that's a hard thing to say. Because if the person isn't healed, everyone will know. So they stop They don't know what to saying. They want to say the hardest thing is to say your sins are forgiven. But they know the hardest thing is to say get up, take your mat, and walk. So Jesus says in verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, in other words, what Jesus is saying is I want you to know that this mere man That this mere human, slightly in an ironic tone there, that this mere human has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he turns and he looks at the poor paralytic guy who's still lying on his mat on the floor. He looks at him and he says to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. Can you imagine the faces of the religious leaders, their jaws dropping, as all of a sudden this paralytic guy gets up and walks out right in front of them. If Jesus has the authority to heal this paralytic, then surely he has the authority to forgive sins. To really understand this point, we need to understand what the religious uh, religious leaders believed. They believed that there was a connection between sin and sickness. They would have thought, if this guy's a paralytic, he must have sinned. And they also believed that before any healing could take place, he first had to be forgiven. Well, he quite clearly had been healed. And therefore, on their own logic, he had to have been forgiven. God had clearly delegated his authority to forgive sins to Jesus. Who is this God? Jesus. Who does what only God is able to do? Is he the Messiah? Is he the anointed one, God's chosen and appointed king? Is he God in the flesh? And we read in verse 12. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. They all amazed did you notice that he walked out? He didn't go back up through the roof. The crowd that had blocked him from entering is still there. But now they make room for him. Staring, mouths open, unconsciously moving backwards to make space for him to walk through their midst. Everyone's in. His mates on the roof are jumping up and down for joy, trying not to fall in. But what are the religious leaders doing? Are they still sitting in the corner complaining and criticizing? Probably. They're probably still complaining about the interruption. This is not the way things should be done. And who's going to fix the roof? It's not even their roof, but they're complaining about the roof. And unfortunately, there are still many religious folk in the church today who are an obstacle, who are preventing people from coming to Jesus. People who are judgmental, who think they're right and everyone else is wrong. People who are more concerned about their rules and regulations than they are about loving other people. People who are more concerned about their traditions and their customs than they are about a living relationship with God. And they're not fun to be around. No one goes flocking to the teacher of the law. They all want to hang out with Jesus. No one wants to hang out with religious folk. Now it's very easy to point fingers at other people and say, oh, they're so religious. But that's a very religious thing to do. That's being judgmental. And if we are honest with ourselves, we will realize that there is a religious spirit in all of us. The only difference is that we are religious about different things. And so it's a challenge to all of us to stop being religious. Because it's simply not nice. There's no fun complaining and, and criticizing in the corner when everyone else is celebrating with Jesus. So come and join the celebration. This is our first challenge this week. To ask God to reveal to us in what ways are we religious? In what way are we an obstacle to people coming to find Jesus. And then ask God to forgive you. Pray with someone. Change. And come and join the celebration. Our second challenge this week is if you haven't experienced the forgiveness of God, then go to Jesus. The way you go to Jesus is by prayer. Find a Christian friend and ask them to pray with you so that you might receive that forgiveness and know that forgiveness. Our third challenge, and this is for everyone, we all need to invite our friends to come and meet Jesus. And we need to bring them to Jesus either through the door or through the roof if necessary. But we need to get them to Jesus. Because our friends and our family need to experience the joy of having Jesus in in their life. And we need to bring them to Jesus. Let's pray. Let's spend a moment reflecting on those three challenges. Just in the quietness of your heart, ask God to speak to you afresh and to reveal to you in any area that you might be religious. And then ask God to forgive you. Ask God to help you and empower you to come and join the celebration. Secondly, if you haven't experienced that forgiveness from Jesus, from God, go to Him now in prayer in the quietness of your heart, and call out to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you and to pour His love into your heart by His Holy Spirit and receive His forgiveness afresh. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we would never be like those teachers of the law, but rather that we would be like the four friends on the roof. Father, we pray that You would give us faith like they had. Faith that would not give up. Faith that would persevere to make sure they get their friend to Jesus. Faith that would find new and creative ways to overcome obstacles, to bring their friends to Jesus, so that they, so that our friends, can experience your forgiveness. Father, we stand amazed at Jesus. We stand in awe of him. Father, I just love the way he handles those teachers of the law with these riddles. Father, I'm just inspired by him. Help me to be like. Him. Father, we we stand in awe of him, that he can bring forgiveness. Father, won't you forgive us afresh through your Son, Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.